0: This is the Education Gadfly
1: Show. Brian, people actually stop you on the street to ask you this stuff. That's fantastic. I love it. I'm still waiting for that to happen. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome my special guest for this week, Brian Gill. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Yeah, Brian is a senior fellow at Mathematica and director of the U.S. Department of Education's Mid-Atlantic Regional Educational Laboratory. Also joining us as always, David Griffith.
2: Hey, Mike. Good to be here.
1: Yeah. So, Brian, we are so excited to have you on the show. I've known you going way back to the early parts of my career, I believe, when you used to do work, I think, for Rand, and I was at the Department of Education, and you've done some of the best studies over the years on charter schools and many other topics. And so we're excited to have you with us today for one of our special research deep dive podcasts. Long-time listeners probably remember that from time to time, especially when things slow down a bit in the world of ed reform, we try to go deep on a single research topic and uh, find out what we can say about the variety of studies on that one topic. So kind of a podcast version of a literature review or a research synthesis. And so we are going to tackle today the topic of urban charter schools. That sound good, Brian? David, think we can do this? Yeah, push my arm. All right. I was going to say, this is obviously a topic near and dear to our hearts here at Fordham. David and I have both written quite a bit about this as well. So we're probably going to have some opinions. Nobody ever expects us to have opinions, right? Well, let's go through this. Let's start by talking about the first question everybody always is focused on. It's an important one, not the only one, but the impact of charter schools on their own students' achievement. What can we say about that after all these years?
0: Well, in that case, As I think you know, Mike, the modifier urban is important because the overall average impact of charter schools is still being debated. But in any case, whatever that is, It's not dramatically different from what you get from public schools on average. Now, the story with urban charter schools is quite different. And in fact, there's lots of evidence from lots of different studies that on average, urban charter schools have substantial positive test score impacts. Now, of course, there's variation among urban charters as well. But nonetheless, a pretty consistent story there from a variety of different studies in different cities across the country using pretty rigorous methods.
1: Right. And methodology, there's quite a few different kinds, right? And they come with their pros and cons. You've got some places where folks have been able to do random assignment studies with lotteries and all that, which is very compelling, although might only tell you about charter schools that are popular enough to have waiting lists, right? Right. Then you have other studies that can look at the universe of charters instead.
0: Yeah, we and some others have done some work to try to see if the non-lottery, the non-experimental methods can produce impact estimates that can match what you get from the experimental studies if you just look at the same schools. And it turns out that it looks like the best non-experimental methods can do that, at least when you're looking at test score impacts. So that gives reason to believe that even the studies that include a larger scope and more than just the oversubscribed urban charter schools are probably producing good impact results for the test score outcomes.
2: For the sake of our listeners, can you try to quantify it, (laughs) you know, the size of this impact? I realize that it's incredibly broad to even talk about urban charters when you're mixing in Boston and New York City and Indianapolis or Jacksonville. But, you know, when people on the street ask you, what's the impact of urban charters on students in general or minority kids, what do you tell them?
1: (laughs) Does that happen, Brian? People actually stop you on the street to ask you this stuff? That's fantastic. I love it. I'm still
2: waiting for that to happen. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, that's a great question. And I confess I haven't attempted to, to do this systematically myself. But I can tell you that if you look at the best studies, you can find evidence of average impacts of urban charters that are substantial. They're not trivial. So, for example, you could think of it in terms of how much of the black-white test score gap they might reduce because, of course, urban t- charter schools tend to serve more kids of color, depending on the community, uh, black kids and or Latinx kids. And it looks like they're making a substantial dent in that number. I'm a little more skeptical of some of the quantification, some of the claims about how many days of instruction they add per year, but that's really kind of a quibble. The key point is that they're producing impacts and it's enough to be something meaningful in
2: terms of what kids are learning. That was a researcher's answer. We'll, I
0: didn't we'll let know it pass. Reference to standard deviation units. I mean,
1: yeah, okay. But so, and and Brian, it's so there is variation, of course, in different contexts. It fair to say what we we know that the impacts are particularly large for Black students, particularly large in some cities. Uh, yep,
0: they tend to be particularly large for schools managed by charter management organizations. Mm-hmm. KIPP, for example which I've been involved in studies of, produces some of the largest and most consistent impacts on student achievement that I've ever seen on interventions at scale. And there are other charter management organizations producing similar sized impacts, although they're, most of the organizations are not as
1: large. So, so. Uh, you know, we here at Fordham think test scores matter a lot, which we can get into. But there's plenty of skepticism out there. Oh, so these schools are good at having their kids do well in tests. So what? What matters is the real world. So let's go next to the impact of these charter schools on the long term or let's call them real world impacts on the students that attend them. What do we know there?
0: I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's a fair concern. You know, you want to know that these are just not test prep factories, right? And the good news is that the evidence that exists is pretty encouraging. Now, that said, there's a lot less evidence on the long-term impacts than there is on the test score impacts, which is largely a function of the availability of data. It's harder to get data on kids after they graduate high school. And of course, you also have to wait longer to see those impacts, right? But that said, we and others have done some work on urban charter schools in a few different contexts, finding substantial positive impacts on the probability that Students will graduate from high school, that they will enroll in college and persist in college. We found some evidence that they produce substantial impacts on earnings in adulthood, though, if you look across the literature, that's a little bit mixed. A few folks have looked at other things like crime or other forms of either behavior you might consider either antisocial or pro social, and those have found encouraging results for charter schools as well. And then I have to mention civic outcomes. I've been particularly interested in civic outcomes in the charter context for 20 years now. It took me 20 years before I could actually do a study of it. But we finally did, focusing specifically on democracy prep. Charter management organization started in New York City, where their explicit mission is to promote citizenship as well as college readiness. And we found using their admissions lotteries to conduct a randomized experiment that they are in fact dramatically increasing the likelihood that their students will end up registering and voting after they finish school, turn 18, and become eligible. There is encouraging evidence from a statewide study in North Carolina that that may be more broadly true of charters, because of course our study was about democracy prep. Most charter schools don't have this as part of their mission. Nonetheless, All of this, I would say, is certainly promising. Though, again, the evidence is far less complete. There aren't as many lottery based studies. There aren't as many locations that have been included. It's certainly going to be good to keep finding more evidence
1: on these long term outcomes. And again, my understanding is that, and really from David teaching me this, is that you really do care about lotteries for this sort of thing because you want to make sure that you're looking at the impact of the school and not selection stuff. But at the same time, every time you look at just the lotteries, that might be schools that are not typical of the larger set. Right? And so, yeah,
0: that's really true. Horrible. I don't know how much you want to get into the methodological weeds here, but- Maybe pick one thing,
2: weed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. One thing that is nice about studying test score impacts from a methodological perspective, is that if you don't have lotteries, is that non-experimentally, at least you can get previous test score measures on the kids. Right. Now, you can't do that for elementary kids, but for middle and high schools, you can control for their a prior measure of the outcome that you're measuring. Yep. And that may be important for dealing with selection bias. Yeah. Whereas if you're looking at voting or earnings in adulthood or high school graduation, college enrollment, there are no prior measures of that you know, th- these things, we don't have a lot of earnings measures on kids when they're 12 years old.
1: No, <laughs> I think that could be interesting. Uh, and likewise, did, did they vote in the eighth grade, you know, student right. election? I, th- maybe we should play with that. Yes. Right. So that,
0: that makes the lottery studies, I yeah. think, especially important when you're trying to look at, at these one-time outcomes or any outcomes where you don't have some prior measure.
1: So again, this all sounds extremely promising. So before we get to, you know, potential caveats, right? What do we know about why? Let's peel back the black box and say, what is it the charter schools are doing? They're getting these better results. Is it stuff that's easily transferable to traditional public schools, like the curriculum maybe they're using? Or is it stuff that's harder to transfer? Like, well, it's because they're not unionized. What, What have researchers learned about that?
0: Yeah, so a handful of folks, notably including my Mathematica colleague Phil Gleason, have tried to take a look at this sort of thing. It's harder to do than just measuring impacts, mm-hmm. because with those kinds of studies, they're, they're necessarily correlation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't take a bunch of charter schools and randomly assign which one has which, which curriculums, for example. So what you're doing methodologically is after the fact, trying to see, okay, we can see which charter schools had larger impacts than others, And then we can try to see, well, what kind of characteristics do they have that distinguishes them from charter schools that maybe did not have large impacts or even had negative impacts? And there's a few things that seem to be fairly consistent across the few different folks who've looked at this. And some of them are not terribly surprising. So for example, instructional time seems to matter. A lot of charter schools, as many of your readers and listeners probably know, tend to have longer school days and or longer school years than conventional public schools, it seems likely, that that helps. High-dosage tutoring, a prominent topic in education church circles today, even outside the church context, may be another lever that matters and that helps increase performance. A very clear professional development system for teachers, giving frequent, careful feedback to them on their instructional practice may help. I know you guys are very familiar with Matthew Steinberg's work on this that he did for Fordham that found that in charter management organizations, at least, teachers tend to improve their performance faster than teachers do generally. So there are a variety of levers, but a lot more yet to be learned about those mechanisms as well. Plenty of room for more research there.
1: You no, know, Well said. And, and of course, it's tricky because it's a moving target, too. Right. I mean, even the so-called no excuses charter schools, the Kips and Uncommons and others, you know, keep keep evolving. You know, they, for example, have had a big uh, turnaround on how they handle school discipline in many cases. And so we don't know how that's going to turn out, but it is a moving target.
2: Yeah. And Mike, I'll just say, I mean, among the many confounds, right, that make this question so incredibly difficult to answer is, you know, different kinds of charter schools may be funded at different levels, KIPP gets more money, not than the traditional public schools, you know, necessarily, right, but more money than some other models. And, you know, the minute you start talking about resources, you're not holding everything else equal, and it becomes difficult to draw firm conclusions about whether any of the other things are mattering. So I guess I would just say, yeah, there's been good work in this area, but it's just incredibly difficult to figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah that's a great point. I mean, and I don't know anybody who has the sort of data that would be able to combine the public and private resources that some of these schools get to tease that out. I haven't seen anybody who's tried to look at the resources per se in the, in the charter context, but it certainly seemed does seem likely to matter. Right. The other thing to note is that studies that have done this correlational analysis to try to tease out the mechanisms as far as I know, they've had to exclusively focus on the test score impacts because there just there isn't enough data yet on yep, the impacts of individual charter schools on the other long-term outcomes That's right.
1: To That's right. And, and we can look at descriptive things, right? David, a few years ago, dug into some data, federal data, looking at teacher absenteeism, and, and perhaps not surprisingly found it much lower in the charter sector uh, than traditional public schools. Uh, we had a great study with uh, was it with Seth Gershenson on uh, teacher diversity in charter schools in North Carolina, and finding that those charters were doing a better job on the diversity front, and that the, the matching students with same race teachers seem to have a bigger impact for some reason in charter schools. All right, so lots to untangle, but again, a really hard one to answer. Yeah. All right. Well, if you talk to critics or opponents of charter schools, a couple of things they always raise. Right. I mean, one is obviously the issue of cherry picking, you know, are we making apples to apples comparisons or charter schools somehow serving a different set of kids than traditional public schools? All these studies try to kind of control for that, right? And try to hold for that. But that's one issue. And the other is just simply the impact of charter schools on traditional public school students, even if they're having this great, if they're helping the kids who who are so lucky to get that golden ticket to go to charter schools, uh, test scores and long-term impacts, but they're hurting the kids left behind in traditional public schools, that may be a bad bargain. So let's talk about that piece, Brian. What do we know, if anything, about the impact on traditional public schools as charter schools expand, as charter schools get funded? Is there any truth to this idea that they are hurting traditional public schools?
0: Yeah, that is a great question. You know, it's important to think about these things from the perspective of the entire system. Most of the news there, though, frankly, is good. There are very, very few studies that have found any evidence that an increase in charter schools in a community has any negative effect on kids who stay in conventional public schools nearby. This is another thing that is hard to study. Of course, you can't do this with lotteries because you're trying to look at effects on kids who didn't apply to charter schools. They're not in any lotteries. But there now have been more than a handful of studies that have used good non-experimental methods to look at this. And they have almost uniformly found either no effect on kids in conventional public schools or small positive effects on kids in conventional public schools, which is consistent with a story that has been the kind of optimistic hope of a lot of charter advocates, that there would be some healthy competition leading to improvements in conventional public schools as well. There's more of a debate about the financial impacts, and that's likely to depend very much on the state's rules for allocating funds. But it seems to me that the most important thing is to focus on what's happening to the kids in whatever institutions are serving them.
1: And when you say, when we're talking about impacts here, we're really talking about, again, test score impacts on the kids, not Not in, right? On the finances, of course, our own David Griffith uh, has done great work on that front. Uh, Also, Mark Weber, who did a great study for us not too long ago, talked about it on the show, trying to dig into this question, right, about what happens when charter schools expand and, and the impact on finances. And right, I mean, the surprising finding that uh, really very little evidence that you see any negative impact financially on traditional public schools. And that's because of the compromises that were struck to get charter school laws enacted, right? That most states have gone out of their way to try to hold public schools harmless or Make sure that not all of the money follows the child to their new school, especially the local property tax money. Now, at the same time, uh, the state money does leave. And so, you know, the traditional public schools will still say that, hey, we, we lose a handful of kids. We lose the, their state money and it's not easy for us to respond. We still need a principal. We still need a nurse. You know, we don't it's hard to recoup those savings so that that debate will continue. But, for example, Mark found that instructional spending did not take a hit. I think anywhere we looked. Uh, so that was kind of encouraging.
2: Yeah, that's right. I wouldn't want to make any claims quite that broad, personally. I mean, in the w- the way we looked at the question, that's true. I think the main thing I would say, and you already touched on it, is just that it matters so much how you frame the question. If your view is is that the kids belong to the system, then you can make the case that in some places it's it's leading to to inefficiency to allow them to leave. I don't know. My only real question is, why is that your view, right? Um, <laughs> It's just not an argument that works at, at a basic moral level for me. But, you know, I mean, it depends a lot on what you consider a cost, which is a much, much more complicated word than anyone is willing to admit.
1: Yeah. Well, back to that question about, well, related to cherry picking, but also just the broader patterns, people saying, well, do charter schools in some way, do they boost increase segregation. We worry about segregation a lot, understandably, especially in our big cities where because of housing patterns and the like, uh, we still have many, many schools that are quite racially isolated or socioeconomically isolated concentrations of poverty. Uh, certainly people worry that if charter schools take sort of the easier to educate kids, even if they maybe are poor, that that leaves the traditional public schools with the toughest cases, a concentration of those toughest cases, That that's not so good. So <laughs> Do we know anything about that? Let me guess, you're going to say this is hard to study. (laughs) Uh, It is, but I think
0: we know a good bit about it. I guess I'd start with a point similar to the one that David just made in the finance context, which is that there's a conceptual issue to start with here, and I would say a language issue. My own preference is to talk here about integration rather than segregation, because segregation to many folks implies intentionality. I mean, it implies the kind of pre-Brown versus Board of Education stratification where there was an intentional segregation of black kids away from white kids. And in the charter context, you can certainly talk about lack, absence of integration, but nobody is coercing anybody to attend the charter school. And so it may lead to a numerical lack of integration. And, you, you know, you can defensively use the word segregation for that. I prefer not to because I think it's important to distinguish it from the intentional type.
1: Yeah, it's a, no, it's a great point. It's a great point.
0: But on, on the empirical evidence, there have been a lot of different studies about this. And they have pointed in, in various different directions, depending a lot on what community you're looking at, what metropolitan area. I think that the, most, the best and most comprehensive study is the one that Thomas Menares and colleagues at Urban Institute did a year or so ago nationally. And they find that on average, an increase in charter schools in a community tends to reduce the level of racial integration in schools to some extent. Now, back to the point about, you know, how this is tough to measure. I think the way in which this is toughest to measure is that it's hard to know what's actually going on inside schools, right? I mean, the reason we think that integration is a good thing has to do with some assumptions about the ways that, say, Black kids and white kids and Latinx kids and other kids actually are interacting in schools. And, of course... As everybody knows, in practice, there are a lot of large comprehensive high schools where if you just count kids by race and ethnicity, they might appear to be integrated at the school level, but nonetheless are not remotely integrated if you look at classrooms and lunchrooms. And it's much, much harder to get data on that sort of thing. So that's one level of, I think, considerable uncertainty here. My hypothesis would be that charter schools are probably more likely to be internally integrated in part because they just tend to be smaller and are likely to have not have multiple academic tracks and that sort of thing. But that's purely a hypothesis. I haven't seen data on this. Right.
1: And it matters if you look at this question with integration at the the district level versus the metro level.
0: Right. It does that too. Yeah. So uh, Menares and colleagues found some evidence that across district lines in metro areas, in, an increase in charter schools can actually improve integration. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to make of that either, since kids don't typically have a lot of interactions outside their schools with other schools and right. districts. There is, though, I think an open question about their effect on residential integration, which one might hope would be a favorable one. Mm-hmm if the creation of charter schools by separating the link between residence and school assignment makes it possible for more, say, middle and upper income families to choose to live in places that they might not have otherwise chosen to live. I guess the last thing I would say on this point is that it's very hard for me to know what to make about, you know, even if the average effect at the school level is to reduce racial integration. It's important to recognize that lots of high performing urban charter schools that are clearly serving their students very well were set up to serve brown and black kids mm-hmm. who are not being well served by their district schools. Right, And it would seem a little perverse to suggest that because those schools are not serving white kids, This is somehow a bad thing when they are demonstrably advancing the academic achievement and attainment of the black and brown kids who have chosen to be there.
1: That's right. And at a time when it's not like we have a bunch of great proven strategies to integrate our schools, right? I mean, we're talking about at the margins, right? but most schools in urban areas are quite uh, racially and socioeconomically isolated. All right. Well, we covered a lot of ground there, Brian, in a short amount of time. Again, to my ears, it all sounds quite positive, except on the integration front where, you know, there's some some bad news. But perhaps, you know, again, it's somewhat it's muted because we're not talking about huge effects and we're not talking about charters are segregated and the traditional public schools are these, you know, utopian integrated schools. But still something to, to watch. You know, I, I'm just curious, I mean, to step out of your role as scholar for a minute, I mean, if, if you are advising policymakers on this issue, kind of what, what do you tell them? There, and you live in Massachusetts, there's constant debates about whether to expand, allow charters to expand again in Boston, or what do you think? Is it a slam dunk or, or not so much? In a place like Boston, there's stronger evidence than anywhere else that the charter
0: schools are serving their kids well. There are long waiting lists for them and very little evidence that they're causing any harm to public school kids. Um, So it's hard for me to see a case for not allowing those schools Mm -hmm. to expand. That may not be true everywhere, but if you've got a high performing charter sector, there's some quantitative evidence and more, I think, anecdotal evidence that, when policies are designed well and resources are available, you can have a high performing charter sector alongside high performing conventional public schools. And, you know, if you look at Washington, DC, if you look at Boston, you see cases in which it appears that the conventional public schools have been improving alongside
1: the charter schools. Yeah. Miami might be another example of that.
0: And that's exactly what the original intent was. And so I think looking for opportunities to make that happen in more places
1: is what we ought to be doing. Well, I think that's a great way to end. I mean, and it is. It's, it's that notion of can we get past the either or and get to both and, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, maybe the, the idea is that, hey, they're better together right stop get,
2: torturing yeah. our neutral researcher
1: <laughs> come on David
2: that's fine
1: that's fine he can I know poor Brian but hey look he runs a regional lab he has to inform policymakers too so that's right used to this
0: yeah, huh? just the all fact. right
1: well Brian again we are so grateful for your time uh and and for your work over these years on this important issue and so many others but really thank you for coming on the show and talking us through this Again, Brian Gill, senior fellow at Mathematica and director of the Mid-Atlantic Regional Educational Laboratory. I hope that maybe we can have you back sometime on another topic. That would be Thank great. Thanks a right. so lot, right. Mike. Thanks, David. Thank you so much, Brian. And uh, look, David, we're skipping the research minute this week because that was like a research half hour. Yeah. So sorry, folks, no Amber this week. But till next week. I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petroli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. The Education Gaffle Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org.